for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right. And shining in my mind You got me loving Hating crazy indecision In my mind Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blisey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and this is episode number 46. And today we have Sean Ferendorf on with us, man. And I'm excited about this one. You know, we re-recorded his podcast uh, a couple days ago, and we're just now doing the intro. But uh, I'm excited about this because he hunts mainly public land, and that's something that I've been wanting to get into and I know you dove into the deep end this last year and started hunting public land. You had a lot of success with it. So I just get really giddy talking about it because I've never done it before. And I'm excited to talk to him about it. Yeah, I am too. Um, I Like you said, I, I kind of turned into a, a public land hunter this year coming to Iowa for the first time. And I, I hunted public land back at home in New York. But it's just one of those places where it just gets piss pounded, you know, like kind of what you're used to seeing up in Michigan come gun season but uh, I just knew like I didn't need private ground in Iowa to hunt a, a caliber of deer that's above what I was used to hunting back in New York so I said I'll I'll be perfectly happy with whatever I can come out of public ground with and uh, yeah and as you mentioned earlier this week uh, in the coffee call we didn't get the previous week's coffee call out because you had surgery and and I was traveling but um, you know, talking about public land, um, I actually went out to Salt Lake City to, to that Western Hunting Expo. I, I'd never been to it before, but, I mean, you talk about a group of public land hunters that have a magnitude of resources as far as hunting out there for everything from elk to sheep and goats to mule deer and whitetail and moose and 
mountain lions, I mean, everything. Um, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that even those outfitters out there are running their hunts on public land, you know, on BLM or Forest Preserve or whatever, and, you know, that's that's legal. Um, and that's something I've gotten into in the past couple of years is I've been applying for elk tags and uh, mule deer, and I've even started the process of a couple of the sheep tag applications but uh yeah like just just coming into iowa this year as a public land hunter knowing that i had the potential to shoot something you know at a higher level of an animal than i did in new york it just kind of things started clicking for me this year as far as how to utilize public land you know when it comes to hunting multiple species not just whitetail so i had to go out there and to see what it was about and man it's a different breed of hunter out there <laughs> yeah as you're ta- you know talking about it, i'm like you must have felt like a fish out of water out there because you're a whitetail guy yeah coming out into elk country you're hobnobbing with the elk guys and everything and that's just that's yeah. a different ball game yeah I'd, I'd i'd talk to somebody and introduce myself and you know say i'm introduce myself as a producer for the show midwest whitetail and they're like oh never heard of it whitetail huh <laughs> like oh well now I feel insignificant. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah. no, it's you know, and I'm not I'm not talking bad about anybody out there. It's just it's just not their world. Like deer are our world, and their world is big game. You know, elk and and mule deer and moose, and you know, it's the the whitetail is the holy grail to them. You know, like a like a big elk is to us. You know, it's just it's just so that's crazy. It's just so interesting to see just the different way we look at things when it's not what we have in our backyard. For sure. You know, and let's let's get right into this thing with Sean. I, I'm excited. You know, we recorded this pre-recorded, so let's get into this and uh, let everybody hear everything that uh, Sean has to say. What do you think? Yeah, let's, let's run it. But before we get to that, if any of you guys are in the market for new cables and strings, look no further than America's Best Bowstrings. And if you want more information on them, go to americasbestbowstrings.com and tell them the guy from the Fall Podcast sent you. All right, on the phone with us today is Sean Farendorf. Sean, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, today, you know, I'd like to I'd like to break down some public land hunting because, uh, you know, I I was talking to a mutual friend of yours and mine, and uh, he said you are a public land beast when it comes to to hunting big mature whitetails. So I said, well, let's get him on the show and uh, see if we can run him through the gauntlet. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll uh, I appreciate the comments from our from our good buddy Adam. I wouldn't say a monster. I would say had <laughs> had some success, but um, yeah, you know there there's always things to be learned. So definitely. Well, you know, before we get started, you want to kind of introduce yourself and and let us know you know where you're from and and what you do for a living and and kind of maybe how you got brought up in the hunting world, basically how you, uh, from a little guy to, to where you're at now, how your dad got you into hunting or whoever that mentor was for you. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I'm originally from the St. Louis area. I, uh, I went down to school in Springfield, Missouri, Missouri state. Um, I, and honestly, I haven't been hunting as long as, you know, a lot of people that are as ate up with it as, you know, me and and Justin yourself and you know everybody else that enjoys to do it but um my parents bought a small farm in northern Missouri probably 12 years ago so I was eighth grade uh freshman in high school something like that 
and and that's really where I started. Um, and it was it was more of a um, you know a weekend type deal. I, I didn't have a whole lot of time. I played sports growing up, so I didn't I didn't really get into it until I got to my freshman year of college actually. Um, and I was done with sports. I didn't really have a hobby to occupy my time. And that's when, you know, the fire really got lit. I was like, okay, I, you know, um, I need something to, to occupy my time. So, um, really got ate up with it. Um, got a job working at an archery shop when I was in college. Uh, you know, got into it. The farm was, the farm that I grew up hunting was, um, you know, four and a half hours away from, from school. So I started hunting state land that was right there around, you know, the Southwest Missouri area, just because it was a lot easier for me to, uh, you know, get out of a 11 o'clock class or whatever it was, or on a weekend and just go and, and hunt something like that. So, um, you know, did that for a couple of years and then, um, graduated from Missouri state with a business degree and had actually accepted a job uh, in the Springfield area and had always been, you know, had always been a fan of Midwest Whitetail. I watched a bunch of online shows, things like that, and, uh, saw their, their, uh, plea for interns, you know, where they, where they asked people to apply for their internship. So I was like, you know, what do I got to lose? So I applied for it and, uh, I ended up getting it. And so I, I actually turned down the job offer that I had gotten out of school when I graduated college and went and uh, did the internship up in south uh, southeast Iowa with those guys for, you know, nine or ten months, whatever it was, and then um, had a blast, learned a lot, and then uh, it led me to where I'm at now, which is uh, a field producer for Whitetail Properties. So that's uh, a little bit of a background on, on me anyway. Well, that's, I mean, that's a, it's a pretty cool little background. I mean, was your college degree in video production or anything, or what, what did you go to college for? It was not, man. It was, uh, it was biz, it was a general business degree with a minor in marketing. I had done an internship with an insurance company, actually, believe it or not, there in the Springfield area where I went to school and, uh, got offered a job with them, accepted it, um, came home for Christmas break and had seen the, internship offer on Midwest Whitetail's website and I was like yeah Mike you know that would that'd be awesome that'd be something you know really cool to do and decided to apply for it uh kind of out of the blue got into conversation with uh Aaron Warburton at the time when he was there he was kind of in charge of hiring the interns and I said you know it, it kind of felt like it was going to lead to something and um you know we got a little bit more serious in our conversation and I ended up turned down the job offer that I had accepted out of school and, um, you know, really hoping and praying that I would get the internship because at that point, you know, I was, I was kind of SOL if I didn't get the internship and I found out, uh, late February or early March, um, you know, that I'd be going up to Iowa and, and doing that. So it, it all worked out, but it, I mean, realistically it changed, you know, it changed the course of my career and my life really just, kind of on a whim kind of deal and uh you know here I am doing something that I never would have thought I was doing and, and I had zero video experience going into that internship I had never even picked up a video camera or you know messed with an editing software or anything like that so that's crazy you bring that up because last week's episode was with an intern that just finished up with us one of my good buddies and he's still living 
with me in the house here in Iowa, and he's just kind of holding on, waiting for that first opportunity. But uh, it's just a, a funny transition into the next episode here is in comparison to last week. <laughs> yeah, I didn't yeah. even know that. I thought you had some, you know, some sort of video background or you know before you had went to midwest whitetail so that's pretty crazy two weeks in a row we're yeah we're talking to newbies <laughs> yeah and it's i mean cooper, cooper didn't have any experience either i mean zero just like you and like you said it altered the course of your life and i mean he's just yep he's still trying to find the right fit you know and he's hoping to have the same effect his degree is in recreation and tourism so yeah. Yep. Well, cool. and I think all three of us can agree too. I mean, once you get into this, it's addicting. Oh, yeah. I mean, being a field producer and 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 it helps being a you know hardcore hunters and stuff like that. But you know, running cameras and and producing and editing like it's just addicting, man. I for me it is anyway. Yeah. No, I agree. It's it's really cool to, um, you know, be in the field, see something, shoot it, and then bring it back and and make something of it. Um, cause a lot of what you do in the field and see in the field, you know, as a field producer can, can seem, um, you know, pointless, useless or, or monotonous, whatever you want to call it. But then you, you bring all those pieces back and when you put them together, you know, if you're doing editing, then, then you're like, man, that's awesome. And then you build on that, obviously, you, you know, you get into a rhythm and, um, you know, especially if you're shooting the content, like, you know, in your case, Aaron, you're a lot of the times you're shooting the content that you will ultimately be editing, um, you know what to look for, you know what shots to get, you you know, um, and, and all those pieces kind of fall together, and it's cool to see the end product for sure. Yeah, it really is, and and Justin and I kind of, without getting too far off the, the beaten path, I mean, we talked about it last week, It's it makes you a stronger producer and shooter when you can edit, you know, what you're, what you're shooting just because you know what you need to do the next time or, you know, what you did well that time or and how to grow, basically. Oh, hundred percent. Yep. No doubt. Well, cool. Before we get too far off, let's get into to, to this week's topic. And, you know, you're not strictly, but in, you know, mainly a, a public land hunter. I mean, you do, you, you said you did hunt some private land, but you know, this last deer season, you had one hell of a year on some public land in Illinois. And, you know, the year before, you know, you had some, you had some luck and, uh, you know, when you and I were talking off record, you, you know, it didn't capitalize on that, but you know, I, I want to dive into this public land deal and this could go for not even just public land hunters, but for private land hunters as well, as far as, you know, hunting topography and learning, a, you know, a new piece or something like that. But I guess my first question for you is, you know, when you're getting into a piece of public, how are you breaking it down? Like, what is your first steps you're taking to, to really, you know, hone in on it and, and start, where's the starting point at? Cause it can be very intimidating for people that, you know, you got this big chunk or little chunk, whatever it is. And it's, you know, it's very intimidating. So what is your yep. first step to, to, to getting to the right direction basically? Yeah, no doubt. Um, and the, the piece that I've spent a lot of time on the last two years in particular is incredibly diverse, which makes it even that much harder to try and figure out. Um, I guess, um, big picture, the way that I go about it, uh, you know, you look at a map, very basic stuff. You try to find areas that you think would concentrate and or hold deer 
and you go to those areas, and that's where you start your scouting. Um, another thing that I like to do um, when I'm looking at a new property, or, or yeah, a new piece of, of property, public, whatever it is that I'm hunting, is look at the map and, and try to eliminate pieces before you even step foot on that piece of property. So, um, and that that's obviously very situational, but if there's something that you can tell on a map that is not gonna be beneficial to you and your scouting and hunting, cross that off and just break that property down that way. So when you go out there, you're not just walking around aimlessly um, trying to figure it out. Um, and then I guess another thing that I would say is is break it down. I mean, if it's uh, you know if it's a five thousand acre piece of property, you know, break it into five or six different sections and say I'm going to focus on this one when I go out and do my scouting today or whatever it is. And then the next time you go out, go and walk another piece of it, and and kind of break it down like that. And and that's helped me um, to really try and and break down a big piece you know, four or 5,000 acres. I mean, even two or 3,000 acres is a big piece. Um, but the more that you can just kind of whittle away at that big mast and dial in on a certain area, I think the better that you're going to be and the less overwhelmed that you're going to be when you first step foot out there, um, you know, to try and walk it and scout it. Yeah. And, you know, so what, what are some of those things that you're trying to cross off? Like what are the, the I mean, no-brainer, when you look at a map and you see this, what are you crossing off to start with? Well, and that's the hard thing because um, you can look at a map and, and obvious things, tillable fields, um, maybe open ground, big wide open ridge tops that are, you know, big mature hardwoods, whatever it might be. You cross those things off. That seems, you know, elementary, but at the same time, if you take a big, you know, if you're looking at a, a piece of property that's a big square and you just start, you know, scribbling out all the things, you know, ag fields, open ground, um, areas um, next to parking lots or next to roads and, and just avoid those at first. I'm not saying that you don't go back to them at some point, but any way that you can really hone in on something that you think is going to be good. And, and most people, if they've been hunting for a fair amount of time, they know um, you know, there's, there's a hard transition here, or there's a great habitat or terrain funnel right here. I'm going to go and look at that. And you just build off of that. And it takes, it takes so long to do. I mean, the, the particular piece that I shot both of those deer on last year is only 2,200 acres. And I kid you guys not, I, I've honestly walked that piece probably 50 times. I mean, there's certain areas that I've walked five, six, seven, eight times and found new little nuances that I didn't notice before. And then there's pieces of that property that I've walked before. And I just said, I'm never going to step foot in here again, you know? So it just, it definitely, mm -hmm. it definitely takes time. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just breaking it down whatever way makes sense. I mean, obviously everybody's hunting different things, whether it's big timber you know, if you're in the south and you got pine plantations or, you know, you're hunting big ag country and you just got some draws with some little bit of wooded timber going through them, um, just break it down. I mean, just, just try and eliminate whatever in your mind 
doesn't make sense for deer movement, deer holding deer, concentrate deer, whatever it might be. Just just trying to eliminate that from the get go, and and that'll make it a little bit less overwhelming going into it. Okay, which which makes total sense. Just to you know make that game a, a little bit easier for you, and like you said, you're not crossing it off completely, possibly. Yep. yep. But you know you're trying to go for, you know, the low hanging fruit. You know what I mean? You're trying to find that spot, that pinch, or that you know, that saddle or, or what it may be, you're trying to trying to locate those first to maximize your time. That's what that's kind of the impression I get from you. No doubt. And and, and I'm saying initially, I mean completely from you know, from scratch, that's what I would do. Eliminate just the big negatives, whatever they might be in your mind or, or, or pertaining to that property. Eliminate them. It doesn't mean that they're gone forever, but to start just whittle it down to something that you can chew on to get going. Right. That's no, I, I, I kind of was presented with this challenge myself this year. I, I just moved to Iowa and we've like, we've talked about it a few times, but I don't own ground here. And I was like, there's no way I'm not hunting Iowa. I don't care where it is. So I mean, I, I played the public land game this year as well. And I did the same thing. I, I found the places I know hold good deer based on where they were you know, what counties they were in, and then just started trying to look at the map and figure out where are most people going to go. Like, I looked at it from an access standpoint and, you know, what looks appealing to the average guy, and then I started crossing that stuff off of, like like you said, the open areas, you know, the just the stuff that you know deer aren't going to be in. And then from there you're yep. left with a very short list of places that you're going to find deer. And then, yeah. you know, for me, I was kind of looking at places that were – you know, somewhat close to the parking area because in my mind, most people were going to try to dive into the heart of this thing and walk right by some of the best spots. And I killed my deer 150 yards off the road. That's awesome. Yeah. Heck so, I mean, yeah. And like you said, get in there and every time you go in and look or walk and scout, you find something new. I went in there as soon as the season closed and just covered the whole place, you know, before we got snow. It looks exactly like yep. it does in November. You got a good view from any kind of tree you might want to hang in come next fall, you know, and they haven't dropped yet. So you can still identify that fall range versus the winter range, you know, and uh, it was just super valuable for me to get in there and see the whole place as soon as the season closed. Yep. No doubt. No doubt about it. So, you know, Sean, the, 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 the piece that you're talking about, you know, so this is the second year you hunted it. Is that correct? Yep. That's right. Okay, so the first year going into it, you know, you broke down the map and and you knocked off some spots on the map, and then you probably went boots on the ground. I'm gonna guess is that the next step you made? Yeah, I mean, exactly. It it, it was like look at the biggest, most obvious terrain and habitat features that you can find on a map. Look at them, and I just bulldoze my way straight to them. Now getting to those spots obviously you find little things on the way but yes i mean that was exactly it i looked at the map i mean i came to the office when i got hired and they're like hey there's this awesome piece of public some of the guys had hunted it in the past you know you should take a look at it pulled it up looked, and it was just like i'm gonna go there like that's where i'm gonna start i've never been out here that's where i'm gonna go and from there you know you just you let kind of what you know and your instincts kind of take you from it, but um, look at something big. If it looks good, go and check it out. But yeah, I mean that's exactly right. So when you got boots on the ground, the first 
thing that you come to, whether that was a train feature or, or, you know, something, whatever that was that you were like, I need to be in this area. What was that? Like, what was the first thing you saw and you're like, this is where I'm going to kill a big deer or a mature deer. Yep. So, um, and it's actually cool because I'm sitting in here at the office and I'm looking, I've got a big old, uh, Hunterra printout of this piece of public. And so there's, there's three main creeks that, uh, for the most part run north to south. Um, one runs right on the west side, one runs, uh, on the, on the west central side, and then one runs on the east side. The two on the west side converge, and then the one on the east side converges with the other two down on the south side. So what I went off of, the majority of the timber and the bottom ground stuff was on the west side. So I picked out where those two creeks converged, and I went straight there just to start looking for trails and for sign, uh, you know, last year's sign, whatever it was. Um, and that's where I started. I mean, that's, that's so broad and so generic, but I mean, initially on that piece, that is where I started where the two big creeks came together. And then I just branched off from there and, uh, just got wild ever since. <laughs> <laughs> so when you, when you got in there, what did you see? I mean, did you see what you were expecting to see or did it lead you to something else? Yeah, I, I was just going to say that not at all. I mean, you know, in my head, I went in there. I'm like, oh, man, these, you know, these two creeks and drainages, they they run together right here in this spot like this. This is going to be lit with sign and there's going to be creek crossings all over the place. And, you know, sign from last year, old scrapes or rubs, whatever I could find. And I got there and it was just like, you know, kind of a letdown. I'm like, well, this isn't, you know, there's not really a whole lot going on right here. But all. All I was looking at was the big terrain features. So then you got to start looking at the habitat features um, and and what is going to funnel those deer other than the terrain. You know, in, in my mind, there's two types of funnels. There's habitat funnels and there's terrain funnels. Um, and you got to kind of look at those things and, and um, go from there. But yeah, I would say as much time as you can spend on the ground, you know, the better. Right. And now when you found that, so you're obviously like, this is where I need to get a stand or this is where I need to spend a a majority of my time. Is that kind of what it was? Um, yeah. Uh, actually Adam and I carried a stand on our back out there that day. He went out there with me the first time that I'd scouted this piece and we carried a stand and, and we got to that big terrain feature that we thought was good. And we hung a stand just off the Creek um, close to a bunch of old rubs in a bottom and we thought it would be good. Well, it turns out I didn't, I didn't hunt that stand one time last year. I ended up, um, you know, going into another spot based on the map on the other side of the property, uh, and having a couple of really good hunts. There was a three day, I I had a three day window in between work and filming that I went out there and, and had a bunch of good encounters and ended up like you and I had talked about the other day, Aaron missing a really good buck. And, um, ultimately that led me to a bunch of more, a bunch more scouting and, um, successful hunts really. I mean, this past year. So that lead, that leading you to the new area you know, going into this year, you knew that's where you needed to be. So, you know, going into this season, 
what were you looking to get into? I mean, were you going to go right back to that same tree? Were you going to, you know, just kind of sit back from that area and just kind of see what happens, then kind of move in? Like, what was your game plan to get aggressive or just stay back a little bit? Yeah. So what happened was I, um, I completely switched gears. I went to a part of the property that I had spent, I mean, little to no time scouting. Um, and so let me back up. So when I first started hunting this property, I got hired here in March. I didn't go out there and scout for the first time until like September. So I went out there maybe two or three times and walked, you know, 10, 15% of this place. And when I went back out to hunt for the first time, I said, you know what, uh, this spot looks good on the map. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to try it. It turned out really good. And ultimately it led me to the success that I had this year just because I went out on a whim, had a couple of good hunts, saw how the deer were using the property, um, threw a trail camera up earlier in the year. This was early October when I put a camera up, pulled that camera at the end of the year, got a bunch of good inventory on top of some good hunts and a, and a nearly successful hunt, and then really dove into that particular part of this property. Okay, so you know, you mentioned your cameras. So are you putting cameras up and those are basically just the intel that you're going to use for the next year for maybe an annual pattern on a deer or, you know, multiple deer? Is that kind of how you're using the cameras? Yeah, ultimately with the cameras, I put them out in spots that I think I'm going to get good pictures of deer, generally good funnels, um, habitat or terrain, and I don't check them hardly at all. I mean, if I'm going to hunt close to a camera, I'll swap a card and I'll look and see what's out there, but I don't get fired up if there's a good deer on camera um, in, in one of these spots, for one you know, with work, I, I hardly know when I can go out and hunt, but I guess the main purpose of my cameras is to see how deer are moving through an area, um, throughout the season, you know? Yep. I can understand that. Cause that's, that's kind of one of the tactics I'm taking that I started doing just this last year on my private land farm here in Michigan is I figured I was spending way too much time checking cameras. So I just, you know, I left them. And then I, you know, I did check them if I went into a stand, like you said, you know, if you're going to go hunt and you can pop a, take a card out and pop one in, I'll do that. But for the, for the majority, I just left them, you know, let them run, you know, whatever happened, yep. happened. Now I know some Intel on deer movement in some certain areas for this upcoming year, which is super helpful. And I never really looked at cameras that way, um, until this year. And I really have kind of gravitated towards that because, now my biggest thing, which should have been what, you know, my biggest thing going into it was pressure, you know, and that should have been going into all these other seasons that I was doing, but I just didn't realize that. So you just really got to discipline yourself, I guess. Yeah. And that's where I'm at too. It's, you know, like I said, if, if I'm going to be in the relative area hunting close to a camera, I'm already there. So it's, it's not a big deal for me to walk up to it and swap the card, but, um, you know, I, I put all my cameras out right around Labor Day, first week of September this year, and I wasn't in there hunting until, you know, middle of October or so, and I don't even think I pulled my first card until the last week of October. Um, so I just, I just like to let them run because 
if you put them in a good spot and you know that deer are going to be moving through there, then you're going to see how the deer are using that area, you know, in particular bucks. And then you can take that information. It might not be the same buck next year, but general movement patterns are going to be the same in a certain area, right. you know? Yeah, exactly. Justin, is that kind of the, kind of what you were doing this last year as well? I mean, I, I don't think you and I really talked about cameras. Were you using cameras? No, that's the, that's the funny part about that. You know, we talked about the way I did hunt a couple times, and I never hunted the same place more than twice. Um, most of them I only hunted once. Um, and it just came down to the right time of year to where I had, you know, a good experience that said this is where I need to stay. And I just started creeping further and further in. And I finally got to the spot where all the deer activity was. And, I mean, I had I had no scouting done other than looking at a map. And, I mean, it was just a coincidence, but a buddy of mine who lived like 15 miles from there had been running cameras in there since August. And he had pictures of the deer I ended up shooting. And it was literally within 100 yards of where I killed him. So, like you're saying, you know, if, if you're hunting in an area – you know, there's no harm done in checking your camera, but I mean, I, I didn't even know it was his camera and I obviously, yeah. I didn't pull his card, you know, but it was just coincidence that he had pictures of the deer I killed, but it's not a coincidence that it was so close to where the camera was. Right. You know, as far as knowing what I was getting into, I had no clue. I just went, I picked a good observation stand and said, I have the possibility of killing here. If not, then at least I can see how they're going to use this section of ground to move you know it was right on the edge of a private line and it was a little pinch that ran east to west and it just funneled down at a turnip plot right on the line like it just it opened up like a like a triangle and opened up right into the public and that little that little green plot that turnip plot was in the very point of that you know the, the bottom or like one of the edges of the triangle and I just got myself as close to that line as I could to where I wasn't trespassing, but I was catching all the deer that were coming out of public into that green plot. And it was just a place where does were piled up and bucks were cruising that line all day long for three days. And I happened to see it one day. I moved in closer. It wasn't close enough. Went in third day. Like I said, you know, we've talked about it before. Third day I was on the ground and killed solo from the ground, no blind. And it was just right wind right situation don't overstep you know don't blow them out of there just just get right in on the edge of them and it worked out perfect yeah so sean i mean going into this year you know like you had alluded to you know us three we you know with the type of job that we do we don't know when we're going to be able to hunt it might be like you know, coming up today, you might be like, oh, I can hunt tomorrow for a couple hours. So with that being, you know, possibly a detriment to, you know, your planning and everything, what was your, you know, plan going into the season to hunt? Were you going to try to hunt a cold front or were you just going to try to dive in whenever you could get time to hunt? Yeah. I mean, like you said, it, it schedule wise, it's, I mean, our schedules are so vulnerable in the fall, especially for us. If we get a call from somebody that's on a deer, we got to go and film them. So I I really tried not to base what I can hunt on weather or time of year or anything like that. I just try to get myself 
as close to where I think bucks are going to be at as I can. And I mean, I think most people do that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I had a block of eight days that I wasn't scheduled to film anybody in late October. I think it was like the 22nd through the 31st or the 24th through the 31st, something like that. And I knew that I would be able to hunt those days. And, um, yeah, you, I mean, you just gotta, you gotta take it as it comes really for us. So I, I don't try to base it around weather and things like that or time of year so much just because I can't, I mean, I, I just, I physically can't with work, but, um, whatever you can do in the off season to get yourself as close as you can. Yep. So when did you push into this, you know, this public this year for the first time to hunt? What, what, when was that? Where'd it fall? So I want to say, like I said, I want to say it was probably the 22nd, 21st or 22nd of October. And I had an eight day window that I wasn't scheduled to film. Um, I had talked with, with our production manager. I said, you know, Hey Mark, I, as long as we, as long as somebody doesn't get on a deer, I mean, I'd like to block this time off to hunt. And he said, yeah, no problem. Well, it ended up working out that I had that entire time frame to hunt. Um, and so that was when I started. Um, I did hunt mornings. I did have some really good encounters and, um, I don't want to jump ahead, but one of your questions was, you know, are you, are you, uh, do you hunt bedding or do you hunt, uh, travel or funnels or, or close to parking lots? And, um, I'd really thought about that and it relates to both of the deer that I shot this year. And I would say that it's more of an opportunistic type hunting is what I do. I mean, I try to get myself as close as I possibly can when I have the ability to hunt and then make adjustments on the fly, basically. And that led me to both of those deer, as, as we had talked about on the phone the other night. But, um, yeah, opportunistic is, is huge for me. I mean, you can walk every square inch of a piece of ground, and, and you can have a, a tree picked out, you know, on every acre of a piece of property that you think you're going to kill a deer on. But until you get out there and hunt it, I mean, you really have no idea how the deer are moving or, or, or where you need to be, in my opinion. Right. So going in on that, you know, the 21st, what did you expect and and what did you see? Were you seeing a lot of deer? Were you seeing good deer? Like what was the deer movement like? Yep. Yeah. So I was seeing, uh, when I first started hunting out there this year, I was seeing a lot of good, you know, year and a half old, two and a half year old type deer, bunch of does, knew I was in the right spot, good movement early in the afternoon or later into the morning going back to bedding. So I knew I was in the right area. Um, I just, I didn't, I didn't quite know what was missing, I guess, at that point. Um, and then actually, uh, relying on cameras a little bit, I, I had had a camera set up close to a spot that I knew I was going to eventually hunt in the fall. Uh, and I had hunted a couple of mornings and a couple afternoons in the relative area, you know, within three or 400 yards of where I had a camera. And eventually on an afternoon hunt, or excuse me, on a morning hunt, I ended up pulling cards and checking that camera and there was a couple of really good bucks on it in daylight and uh i said well shoot you know where are they coming from where are they going um how have i not seen them i mean i've literally been in this area hunting you know the last few days and they were on this camera in daylight and 
I really took that and, and went back and kind of marinated on it and tried to figure out where they might be. And ultimately it, you know, it ended up to, to shooting that first buck. So coming into that, like what day did you shoot that first buck on? Halloween, the 31st. Halloween. So leading up to that, you know, what were your steps that you took going into that day? You know, you, you saw some good bucks on camera, so you relied a little bit on that. And then what was your next step to get in there? I mean, were you probably excited to see that were some good bucks on their feet in daylight, you know, and, you know, typically they say, you know, it's, you know, in that time period, I love the 25th through the 31st. It's probably my favorite time to hunt because any mature deer in the area, whatever it be, whatever area that is, that's when you're going to see them in my opinion on their feet in daylight, because they're usually the ones that get the first doe that comes into heat and you know you're getting them right before they're getting really unpredictable in a way when they're just running all over for does so knowing that what was your plan of attack to get in there leading up to the halloween so i mean and and i agree with you aaron 100 percent. if i could pick if i could pick any three days out of the year it would be a toss-up between the 28th through the 31st and of october and I don't know, say the 18th through the 21st of November, somewhere the the last few days of October, and somewhere within the last 10 days of November, if I if if somebody said those are the only three days you can hunt, it would be you know I'd have to flip a coin for those for those three days. But anyway, so um, basically I went in after I pulled that card, uh, and I went in and I hunted a morning, and. I basically scouted my way out of the spot. So as opposed to as opposed to just going in and sitting and trying to get out clean, you know, this and that. It's like I got a bow in my hand and I got a tag in my pocket. So I might as well kind of sneak around the woods and see what I can figure out. So um, this was this was probably on the I don't know, twenty sixth to twenty eighth of October, somewhere in there. And I sat a morning and I I basically followed a scrape line. Um, which led me to a couple of bigger rubs. I followed the rubs. I followed the trails and I ended up jumping a huge deer out of his bed is what happened. And, um, it all made sense because the, the, based on the camera where, where the, the mature deer that I'd had on camera were coming from, it was that general direction. Now, granted it was five, 600 yards, quarter mile away. But what led me to jumping that buck up was just scouting my way out of a morning hunt in October. I mean, I was following a scrape line. I was following tracks. I was, I found a giant rub, which I just stumbled upon, which led me to keep going. And then I jump a big deer at 30 yards and I'm like, holy cow. So I went back in there three days later and shot the, and shot a buck coming out of that same bedding area. So, um, scouting my way out and, and kind of, like I said, being opportunistic um, instead of just being like, well, this is where I need to be. This is a good spot. I'm seeing deer here. I just, yeah. I mean, I just kind of fo- followed some sign and dumbed into a, to a big buck and then went and sat a little bit closer to him than I was before. <laughs> so were you trying to get into the transition from the bedding into where, you know, the, you think these deer were going, or were you trying to set up right on this, this, this bed that you had kicked this buck out of? Well, 
Yeah, what I, uh, what I did was, I mean, just based on the way that this property lays, it, it was um, two or three big main drainages or draws that led down into this bottom that I was initially hunting when, uh, when I had scouted my way out of the property. So I got as close to where I thought that deer might be bedding without bumping him um, with the wind in my favor. Uh, and, and just got as close as I as I possibly could, um, yet without without blowing them out of there. Which ultimately was about 250 yards from where I had started hunting uh, initially, where I where I was seeing a bunch of good you know two and a half year old bucks, things like that earlier, you know a few days prior. So it just took a little bit of fine tuning to to get close enough to shoot one in daylight i mean that deer or, or those deer whatever it might have been could have walked by that tree as i was walking out you know the first couple times i'd hunted it but i just wasn't close enough yeah and you know when you found the spot 250 yards away you know in that tree or, or where you picked and everything when you got up there what was your night like was it a it was a night hunt you said yeah it was an evening yep so, so an evening hunt, you know, you got up in the stand. What, what how did that evening kind of unfold? What it, was the deer movement like? It was bad, dude. It was so bad. Um, I didn't see any deer. I didn't see any deer up until 10 minutes before I saw the buck that I ultimately ended up shooting. And I actually had a deer that was completely upwind of me, you know, across the, across the creek bottom, up on a ridge. I don't know if it saw me. I don't know if I was moving. I don't know if it was blowing at a coyote, but it started blowing. And I've got like, you know, 30, 45 minutes, whatever left of, of legal. And I'm like, man, this, you know, this just stinks. Like, I, cause I was fired up. Like I had just jumped a big buck out of a bed, you know, within a hundred, right. 150 yards of where I, where I was sitting. And I was like, this is just not good. And then I see a couple of those. And then I ultimately see the buck walk out of the bedding area that I shot and I was like, all right, you know, we're in business now. So you saw him actually get up out of his bed? No, I did not see him get up out of his bed. Um, he came down the ridge from the same bedding area that I jumped the buck out of and he was not, he was not coming towards me. So, uh, he was working kind of around where all three of the, like the upper part of the ridge where the three draws come down and I, I gave him a little grunt. Um, he actually, it was funny, like I gave him a little grunt. He kind of looked and then didn't really pay attention. I grunted again and he like, he like bounded off like away from me. And I'm like, well, gosh, this is weird. And then he just starts shred, <laughs> he, he just starts shredding a tree. Um, and I'm like, okay, like I'm going to give him one more. So I grunted again. And I guess the, the first couple grunts had fired him up because he went and, and rubbed that tree, but he bounded away from me. And then he ultimately turned around to come and, and figure out what was going on. And it, I mean, it couldn't have worked out any better. He ended up stopping at like 22 yards with his head behind a tree, made a scrape, took two more steps. I stopped him and shot him at, you know, like 22 yards. But, wow. but none of that would have, none of that would have happened if I hadn't just, you know, taken the opportunity of, you know, getting out of the tree of a fairly slow morning hunt in October, followed some sign, jumped a deer out of a bedding area, 
very close to where I was hunting and where I thought was the right spot based on my scouting. And then, like I said, that ultimately led me to get a little bit closer to where I now thought those deer were were coming from and led to me shooting that buck. So that's crazy. And as you know, Dan Infald always said too, I'm pretty sure he was the one that coined the, if you're not bumping deer, you're probably not in the right area. Yep. <laughs> yep. And that, that's funny too. I was, yeah, I was actually on the phone. Uh, I was getting ready to uh, meet up with Aaron Warbert and a buddy of mine and, and uh, give him the keys to my parents' farm in Northern Missouri that I was telling you about. Cause they stayed there. I don't know if you, you guys probably watched their, their deer tour when they were hunting up there at Mark Twain, they were staying at, at my mom and dad's farmhouse and I was getting ready to, he was calling me and calling me, um, you know, cause I was, I was going to meet him to give him the keys to the farm. And I called him like, Aaron, I just jumped a big buck, dude. What do I do? I was like, I got to stand on my back. Do I, do I pop up in a tree and wait for him to come back? You know, it's like 10 30, 11 o'clock in the morning, like October 26th or something like that. He's like, ah, he's like, I don't know, man. He's like, he's like, go back there and hunt the next day. Or he's like, go back in there in the next couple of days and get as close to it as you can. He'll be back. And I went yep. back and, and I shot him. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Yep. So that was Halloween. Describe that deer real quick. I mean, what was he? How old do you think he was? You know, what, what do you have for headgear? Oh, dude, he was, uh, he was an old, as we would call just, just a, just a poop rocket. You know, I mean, he was, <laughs> he was oh, yeah. <laughs> big, big bodied, big, thick neck, scarred up, broke up. And I mean, realistically i don't know i've i haven't scored a deer in a long time but he you know he was literally probably 120 inches but in my opinion and in the opinion of you know a couple of friends of mine and and even the the guy that i brought to have him taxied he was probably a five or six year old buck but could have been eight or nine i mean the thing was old so right um when i saw i love him, i love those shit rocket deer man i love put, being put on those old deer <laughs> yep and yep and that was the thing i mean it was like a couple four or five days in a row of, of solid hunting i mean walking the property from february up until september it was just like there's no way i'm passing this thing it's the first buck that is mature that i've seen out here it's like i'm i'm freaking hammering this thing there's no way i'm not <laughs> right so you know you, you got your first buck down of the year now what is your game plan going forward leading up to the next buck so um this was, uh, so back to uh, Rewind two years ago where I had the really good encounter where I missed the deer, where I had a couple, you know, three or four good hunts in a row. I had ran a camera there two years ago and taken inventory after the season, seen some really good deers, kind of put together a little bit of how they had moved through there. I had set another camera there this past season and I really hadn't gone over there a whole lot. So after I shot that first one, um, which was basically on the west side of the property, I kind of migrated over towards the east side of the property that I that I kind of felt like I had a little bit of redemption, you know, in me that I had to get after missing that one in 2017, I guess it would have been. Um, and so I kind of migrated over to the east side. Uh, and to my surprise, I... The, there were some crazy deer that were on that camera. Like I, I didn't really mess with the east side at all. I'm like, I'm gonna wait till later in the year. Like it's early a little bit. I'm kind of, kind of, you know, futz around the edges or whatever. And then I shot that buck, and then I migrated over to the east side, and I'm like, holy cow! Like I've been missing out on some stuff over here. <laughs> right. Now, what, why, why did you 
stay off the east side? What was telling you to stay off there until late season? Was there more food over there where you think it was going to be, you know, more of a bed to food pattern or a, a feeding pattern? Or, you know, what was what was your plan of attack? Yeah. So I mean, really, the only thing, the only reason I stayed off the east side is because of the very little bit of information that I had to go on from two seasons ago, which were the three days that I hunted it, which would have been the uh, 9th, 10th, and 11th of November. And I had some incredible hunts, including missing that buck on the 10th. And just from that little bit of information, um, I felt like I had a pretty good idea of where I needed to be on that east side around that time of year because like I said I didn't have a whole lot of time to scout it prior um, two years ago and I didn't have a whole lot to go on on the east side last year because I I just kind of had my mind like I'm gonna bank it up you know I know it's really good uh, found some good sheds over there had some pictures of some good deer over there two years ago I said I'm just gonna kind of I'm just gonna kind of wait to go over there um, and then after I killed the first one it was like all right all in that's where I'm going I know there's good deer um, and that's kind of why I waited to bank it just, just from the little bit of information that I had to go on from the previous season. Okay. So were you going into that area, you know, were you going into that same tree that you had missed that deer out of, or, you know, did you have something else that was sticking out to you that you were like, ah, it looks like the deer are more on this side now, or, you know, how'd that scenario play out? Yeah. Yeah. So again, kind of, um, kind of opportunistic. I mean, I, when I missed that deer the year before, uh, I was set up on an inside corner of a big CRP field up on a top ridge. I was set up on the inside corner of that. I'd seen a bunch of chasing going on down in, in a bottom, in a, in a creek bottom, that morning. So I climbed out of the tree. Well, I dropped my PB&J out of the tree, so obviously I got to get down at some point. But So it was an all-day sit, and I said, well, I saw a bunch of action down there. I'm going to climb down, and I'm going to move down to that bottom. So I moved down to that bottom and ended up missing that deer on a transition from, you know, just a big ridge that dumps off into a bottom. Uh, and I was sitting right on the transition of the CRP Creek bottom and the, the timber ridge, uh, where it drops off. But where I was hunting at mainly this year was 50, 60 yards from there on a Creek crossing. And the only reason I was hunting that Creek crossing is because the main ridges of that particular area run north to south and there's one creek crossing in between there's two big bottom fields and there's one creek crossing in between because of a big log jam and so that's where i set the camera this last year and i had a bunch of big bucks i mean like 160 170 type deer on that camera when i finally went and pulled it uh which this would have been i don't know first second week in november this past season uh, so I just kind of fine-tuned it a little bit, started hunting around that area and moving the stand around, and, and uh, yeah. So you fine-tuned it, and now what was the day? When did you kill that second one then? On the 19th, 19th of November. On the 19th. Okay, so take us through that, you know, the, the couple days leading up to it and, and what made you ultimately get on this deer and get him, get him down on the ground. Yep, yep. So, and again, within... You know, this is all within a couple hundred yards of where I had missed that deer two years ago. And um, I'm just, I'm kind of picking and choosing spots based on wind, obviously, and based on sign that I had found um, 
throughout the early part of November when I was hunting it, which was, you know, a handful of days. And um, it snowed here. I want to say it was the 15th or 16th. It snowed here. It was a Thursday. And I went out there and I said, I'm just going to kind of still hunt my way around, you know, and just see what I see. I don't have a whole lot to lose. I've only got a few days left here. I've already killed a buck. I was more than happy. You know, I was like, I'm going to still hunt you know, around this creek crossing area that I had had the encounters over the past year. And um, so what happened was I ended up slinging my backpack off, putting on a jacket, eating some beef jerky, drinking some water. And I was 30 yards from where I ultimately wanted to just, you know, find a, an old tree or a fall down or something and, and set on for the evening. And uh, I zipped up my coat and I bent down to pick my backpack up and I look over my shoulder and there's you know 150 155 inch 10 pointer like 15 yards from me that was just coming up this little finger ridge from the bottom and I'm like you gotta be kidding me so he walks by I mean he he had given up on me pretty quick actually and he got about to where I couldn't turn my neck any further behind me and I go to grab my bow and I turn around to draw on him and he takes off and I'm like gosh dang you gotta be I would have been the biggest deer I ever killed in my life by far and um so again a little bit of a little bit of vengeance going into it so the next day was a friday illinois first shotgun season would have been uh that friday saturday sunday so that unit was closed to shotgun hunting and i you know i was pretty bummed out about it. i said all right you know that deer you know that buck did that for a reason so i went back out there on monday the 19th and i set up in a tree you know, that I probably could have spit on from where that buck picked me off on the ground. And the second deer that I shot out there ended walk, ended up walking the same little finger ridge coming from the bottom up to the top. And I shot him at like 15 yards. I mean, he did the exact same thing that that other buck did four days later. I mean, just totally a spot that I'm going to be at next year at some point. Just based on what I saw in the couple times that I was out there. That's crazy. And now that's just a train feature that you found that those deer just religiously, you know, that's part of their travel corridor. Is that, is that kind of what you've discovered then? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly what it is. And, th and those are the things that like, you can't really, you can't really figure out, I guess, in my opinion, while scouting, because I had walked that Ridge multiple times. And what I didn't notice was that, you know, there's the top ridge, you know, so that you guys can kind of picture it in your head. You know, the ridge run, main ridge runs north to south. So the east side of the main ridge is the top. And there's a bunch of little finger ridges that run down into the bottom. Well, they all kind of look the same for the most part. Well, the one that both of those bucks had traveled up was, for one, a lot more gradual than the rest of the ridges that kind of dumped down into the bottom as far as the slope of it. But it was also, for whatever reason, it was a lot more young growth, like a bunch of little saplings and a bunch of just kind of gnarly little, I don't know, multiflora rows and things like that. It wasn't like super open timber. Um, and after I shot that deer, I walked down it and there was a giant scrape and, you know, rubbed the size of my thigh halfway down that little finger ridge. And it's just... I don't know, for whatever reason, they feel more comfortable going from the bottom up to the top. They walk that ridge instead of walking through the open timber. And I didn't put all of that together until after 
I had the encounter with the first buck on the ground. And then after I shot the second buck, and then I went back out and walked it after I pulled cameras and I kind of put it all together and I'm like, holy cow, you know, so all the time and all the scouting, but ultimately it was, it was, it was a missed opportunity that led me to go back out there and get another opportunity based on what I had seen, you know, with that first buck. Right. That's, that's, um, that, that's crazy. That's, that's cool. You know, that's, it, it took you kind of messing up twice in a way, oh, you know yeah. what I mean? To, oh, yeah. to, to really honing in on this. And that just goes to show you like, you know, year in and year out, it's just, you know, going outside of the box. Like that morning that you, or that evening that you bumped that deer, you know, you were kind of going outside the box. You were going to still hunt and sit on the ground yep. and you just happened to, to find, or, you know, uncover a stone that was like, wow, this is where I need to be, you know, and same thing with the first one. That That's just, that's cool. And that, you know, that just goes to show you get out of your comfort zone a little bit. And, you know, just when you think you might have them figured out, you might not, you know, and there's something, there's more stones to, uh, to, to overturn or, you know, or, or uncover if you will. And that's just really cool. And so getting that second deer down. Well, no, to, I mean, and to your point too, I guess, um, you know, anybody that's listening it's like yeah you know shoot it's like you go out and you hunt you know if 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 you mess up a hunt you know but you have a really good encounter don't be afraid to go back there and and try and figure out why that deer came from where he did or or why he busted you or whatever it might have been and then you know uh conversely you know if you're out and you're hunting don't be afraid to to follow some sign and to scout and to and to maybe learn a little bit more on your way out. I mean, that's all I was doing. I was like, well, you know, I'm going to follow some sign and, and, and it just snowballed into me bumping that deer, which ultimately yeah. led, led me to shooting that buck. I mean, I would have never moved, I would have never moved the stand 300 yards uh, to the north to get closer. If I would have, if I would have not followed that sign and bumped that deer, I just wouldn't have. I mean, there's no way. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a great way of putting it because you think to yourself sometime, it's like, man, if I if I go in here and I blow this, if I blow a deer out, he's gone. He's three counties to the north. He's never coming back. You know, us as hunters overthink all that stuff. I mean, that's probably the number one thing that hunters, in my opinion, do, me included, overthink yeah. way too much. And, yep. you know, and you kind of hit the nail right on the head there. Yep, yep. I mean, don't overthink it. I mean, I'm telling you, I was... I was half tempted. I mean, when I watched that deer get up and bound off, I heard him stop 30 or 40 yards. And, and, and from what I could tell, he was circling around the knob. He was up on top. He was circling around the knob to try and get downwind of whatever had just bumped him out of his bed. And I had, I sat there for 25, 30 minutes with my release on my bow, ready to draw, because I literally thought he was just going to circle around, try and get downwind and get back into that bed that I just bumped him out of. So yeah and ultimately he was back in there um a few days now i don't know if it was the same deer but they were back in that bedding area like i didn't i did not blow him out of the county he was not that worried he didn't smell me he didn't see me he just heard me crashing through the woods and yeah i mean you can't be afraid to bump them i mean they're not if they're comfortable in an area they're coming back i mean especially yeah i mean if a deer is comfortable they're coming and especially if they 
escape from you, whether they smell you, whether they see you, if they escape in their mind, they won, you know, that that they're safe there because they got away from the threat. So they're coming yeah. back. I mean, and it reminds me so much. And I mean, you're friends with Aaron. So, I mean, I'm, you know, this story that like when him and Zach bumped that deer on the river a couple of years ago, the deer threshing across the river, up the bank, looked back and then just kept going. And they went in the very next day, I believe it was just further in the same location they were going in the first place and had an encounter with that exact same deer the next day. Like they were, they were within a hundred yards yep. of that deer bed yep. less than 24 hours after they bumped him out of his bed. Yep. So, I mean, it's, yep. That's exactly right, dude. And I, I'm firm in that. I mean, a lot of people do talk about, you know, you bump a deer, you know, you're, you know, you're shit out of luck going False. forward. But I, I disagree. Yep. If you bump a, you bump a deer, and they get away and they're you know in their mind they won that that bedding area is safe because they had a threat and they right. got away and they're good and they're going to be back in there and like like i said it was just so crazy that i was going to bring aaron the keys and i called him i said aaron i just or yeah i called him back i said aaron i just bumped a big deer i got to stand on my back what do i do do i climb up in a tree wait for him to come back he said you can climb in a tree now or you can climb in there in the morning but i would definitely be back in there in the next few days because he's not going far and yep and i ended up shooting a buck not far from it 100 yards from it so yeah don't be don't be afraid of that yeah and i got a question for both you guys actually you know and this is this is kind of me being uh you know coming from michigan and hunting a lot of michigan ground as well highly pressured you know and is do you think that still holds true for a highly pressured area going in and, and bumping a buck you know, uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, a shooter buck, a mature buck, uh, you know, in your guys's experience and, and your opinion, does that hold true for, you know, like, you know, like a state like Michigan or PA or, or New York? And it's, I would have to say that hunting a highly pressured area only increases your chance of seeing it again, because you're not the only one doing that. Somebody's probably coming in from, you know, one of 10 other directions and, if that deer is not on his way back to the bedding area, you know, later that night or after the encounter you had, someone else is going to do it unknowingly just the same as you did and going to want to go back to where he came from. So, I mean, whether he comes out of the bed, like you bump him out of, or if he comes out of the sanctuary that he ran to after you bumped him, I mean, that, that's just my opinion. Um, you know, deer density is going to have more to do with that, I think, than pressure is on that piece of ground. But, um, yep. you know, my answer to that would be, the, the more I, I, there's going to there's going to be a point where there's too much pressure that that's probably not going to hold true. So I will I will say that. But if you're hunting smart and you're just trying to compete with the other guys that are doing the same thing, um, I I personally think you're going to do more damage if you're hunting a private piece of ground and you bump that one five year old that you know is in there. You know, that's the difference in pressure. I think is if you do it once in a year, he's going to know. Oh well. He knows I'm here, but if it's happening to one deer on a piece of ground that's got a lot of pressure where it happens multiple times, I think he's going to feel more safe and know that he's just got to keep moving. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, Justin, to your point, uh, especially on public ground where, um, and this doesn't hold true for public, but uh, for either public or private, but a deer that gets bumped multiple times they're going to have multiple different bedding areas that they feel safe that they can go to that are relatively close to each other because they bed they bed there for a reason. I mean, it's not just for human pressure, it's for, you know, their 
um, animalistic behavior or whatever to, to survive. So, I mean, um, I, I just don't see a deer, you know, you bump a deer a couple of times. I just don't see them going to the next County. It's like, they're in an area for a reason, especially if it's a mature deer. He's probably been in that area for two, three, four years at this point for a reason. So yeah. it's going to be really hard to get them out of there permanently, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, that I was just curious because, you know, that's I've never hunted public land. You know, we had talked about this before, and and I, w- I really wanted to get into it this last year. Didn't really have much time to, to, to put forth the effort to do it. But it's something that obviously it's still on my radar. And there's, there is some good public land around here that I know there is, you know, talking to some guys that are really hardcore into it and some big chunks, some three, 4,000 acre continuous right. pieces of land. And, you know, and, and Sean, like you and I had talked off recording is it's intimidating to go in there and start. And where do you start from? You know, like we yep. alluded to, you know, the first question of the podcast and it's, it's like, where do you start? So that was just one of my questions. And you know, Justin, I, I agree with both you guys on, you know, you know, possibly having a four or five year old on a private piece because, you know, my my one acre farm here in Michigan, the pressure around there is not like it is everywhere else, you know, in Michigan. There's not a lot of bow pressure in that in that square mile, hardly at all actually. And if I go in there and, and bump a mature deer out of there, then yes, I I, I agree with you. I feel like that he could be gone, yeah. you know, and it's a lot of little woodlots around me and he could go four woodlots over and I may never see him again, right. you know? So I do agree with you on that for sure. Yeah. Yep. I mean, yep. just to put my own foot in my mouth. I mean, there's always the exception. I mean, it's not even a rule, but it's just one of those things that you never know how it's going to work out. But I mean, you, you jumped Jim Abbott and still had him show up on your property two more times where you saw him on the hoof. Right. You know, after you blew him out. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's only in one acre. But again, it's if that one acre is where he beds or his primary food source or, you know, a popular doe bedding area, there's something there that keeps him there. Whether it's in yeah. the middle of the rut, beginning, end, or summer range, or whatever the case may be, you're going to see him again. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing, alluding to that. I shot him on the 13th of October. Right. And he ended up coming back you know, and he came back, he bedded there. I saw him, I think three more times, couldn't get on him. I kicked him out of his bed, you know, that I ultimately made four deer. You know, I did a lot of TSI in there and hinge cutting and everything. I kicked him out of that bed and, you know, and he ended up getting hit by a car literally a couple hundred yards from that bed. You know, it's just one of those things. It's, it's crazy. And he was a four-year-old, you know, so it's like, you know, and I think a lot of it has to do with the type of deer as well, you know, like humans, you know, we talk about it, you know, here and there, but a lot of deer are different. You know, some deer can take pressure. It sounds like the Jim Abbott, you know, it looks like from my experience, he could take a little bit of pressure and I don't know what other hunters put on him, but I know he was very visible as a four-year-old in daylight. And I know he took a little bit of, you know, bumping, like you could, you could go up there and bump him, I guess, and he'd stick around, but other deer, man, you know, you bump them, you may never see them again. There's so many variables. Yeah. There really is. It, yeah. It, Just when you think you got them figured out and they're like, oh, I got him. They're so humble. It's like turkey hunting. It, turkey hunting is so humbling. It's like, man, those birds are so dumb. And then they just like, they, you know, they hold up and they're like, I don't like that over there. And it, it, turkey hunting is humbling for sure. 
Yeah, and I and deer hunting too very much so because you know back to the whole scouting thing. It's like you can scout every single day of the year and walk every square inch of a piece of property and and think that you're in the end all be all spots and it's like that deer's going to climb a mountain just because it wants to and it's not going to walk anywhere by your stand regardless of how good of a spot you think it's in it's like right yeah it's like can't it's ever like throwing, can't underestimate them yeah it's like throwing the right. old hula popper up on the log you know and saying there's got to be a fish there and there's not <laughs> yeah exactly yep <laughs> like you're just waiting and, and for it to and explode and there's nothing there <laughs> yeah and there might be but he just might be like yeah screwed i'm tired i'm not gonna hit that hula popper yeah. tonight <laughs> right <laughs> you know and you know aaron going back to your point about like the size of the track of land like where do you start like it's so intimidating you know like i i've tried hunting the adirondack park back in new york and it's a lot like the up of michigan where it's just so vast and it's like it's almost like it's a boreal forest. So like there's a lot of, a lot of hardwoods, like ash, uh, ash, maple beach, you know, with your kind of lower land soggy areas where you get a lot of the red pines. And it's just so hard because there's no rhyme or reason. Like there's no food plots. There's no drain, you know, there's drainages and creeks and stuff, but it's just, there's no edge. There's no edge habitat. That's what I'm going to equate this to is there's no edge. So it's like, where the yeah. heck do you start? What do you do? What happens if you blow one out? You know, where's it going to go? You have no freaking idea. And that's why, right. you know, you see that kind of, those guys who track deer, they find an individual they can identify as a mature buck, you know, and they, they just wait for the right conditions and they, they, they hunt one deer. And they, it's just such a different style of hunting. And I think it's probably one of the most effective ways to do it in that type of timber where you don't have that edge. And you just got to be willing to put the miles on and know how to get home. I don't think they, right. I don't think our tactics that we're talking about, like typical Midwestern tactics of food, bedding, water, you know, that's out the window in those kind of places. Yeah. And to your point, Justin, too, I mean, I had thought about that a little bit, you know, just cause we're in the main, we're in the Midwest, all three of us mostly, but it's like, if I were to, to try and tackle like a, a piece of big timber or, you know, maybe I was going to Alabama or Mississippi and I was going to hunt a bunch of pine plantations or something. It's like that, that edge that, that edge that we refer to in the Midwest, where it's like a break from timber to bottom ground or timber to farm ground or timber to CRP, whatever it might be. It's like, you can find that in timber. It's like, maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe you're in a pine plantation. It's something that was clear cut five years ago, 10 years ago. That right. in between what was clear cut and the the new pines is is an edge or you know maybe you're in um, you know big hill country and it's like maybe there's old forest versus somewhat younger forest so I mean you yep. can find it it's going to be a lot a lot more discreet than obviously yeah. an edge in the Midwest where you've got a, just a hard break but um, you know if you just kind of kind of look at the the terrain and in the habitat I mean you can. Yeah, you can yeah. you can find a little bit of edge, and that's, yeah, that's, that's a great point. I'm never I'm never hunted that type of terrain, but you know, loving hunting whitetails like all of us do. Like I always think about that kind of thing. It's like, well, shoot, it's like I kind of got it easy in the Midwest. It's like you can really pick out certain spots that you you know and, and eliminate or, or or get drawn to. But it's like I don't know. It might be weird to say. It's like I think about that stuff hunting other types of of terrain and country that i haven't hunted before and i always kind of try and think about 
how I might tackle them, you know, because one day I would like to. So yeah, that's a great point. So I I retract my previous statement. There is an edge someplace. It's just not as obvious. <laughs> <laughs> no. So and and I was not. I was. Yeah. I'm sorry, Justin. I was not trying to like. No. No. Yeah, you're good. You're I, good. I was just I, thinking. I totally I was know just, what you're saying. Yeah, I was just thinking. I mean, and and I was looking at the questions and and earlier, and I I was thinking about. It. I'm like, well, shoot, it's like we're in the Midwest. It's you know, it's edge yeah, and that's, habitat I said, funnels and train funnels. Right. Yeah, I used to say this, you know, to myself before I got into this business. It was like, man, I'd, I'd love to see those guys come up here and and try to hunt, you know, in the Adirondacks or like, you know, come hunt dairy country, like where we don't grow alfalfa or soybeans, you know, like where where the Orange Army comes out opening day and drives every piece of timber they can find like no one does that and it, in my mind when i was saying those things in my younger days it was you know because i didn't ever have the experience that there is out here and like you said it's we almost kind of have it made out here because there's so many there's so many options as far as how you can hunt these deer that are out here and it's just yeah you know and conversely i i can tell you right now even having grown up there i i couldn't go up to vermont or maine and hang with the benoits like they'd, they'd run circles around me and i have no idea what the hell i was doing so yeah i'd, it, I'd it, say it, you 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 could give me a month and something like that and right. i'd be lucky to probably see a deer <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean so it's, well and that and you know you guys talking about edge i'm gonna go back to it a little bit and and kind of put into perspective on my farms here in michigan you know, I, I've mentioned a lot, my one acre farm, which is 120 acres, but I've got one acre of timber on it. And, you know, it was just timber. And I'm trying to, you know, last year, last winter, this time I went in there and I wanted to create a honey hole. And what I kind of did by accident in a way, you know, I did a lot of hinge cutting with some help and we created an edge in the middle of this thing. And I put a camera in there and it sat there all summer and it's still there right now. And I pulled it, you know, later in the year, I wasn't going to go in there and I just want to see what the deer were doing. Every, you know, every deer, three years old, four years old, even a two year old was in that edge at some point this fall bedding in there and moving through there in the daylight. And there's a reason why, because I went in there and created an edge created more food and now i just got to figure out how the hell to hunt it because i'm kicking <laughs> deer out as i get close to it so yeah. i just got to figure out that now so it's like just kind of narrowing it down and even on my family farm i put a camera in an area that i've never really been to i've hunted this farm my whole life put a camera in there and in a spot we really wanted to check out and it was on the edge it was new growth to um it was basically a transition from a clear cut that is now new growth popple shoots to a more mature woods now. And yep. I found out that from October 18th till the 28th of October this year, there was 13 different bucks all in daylight moving through that edge. And now I know for next year, I'm going to be honing in on that, on that spot. You'll probably have a stand over there, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Yep. Yep. If you yep. if you can't find it, and if you're allowed to create it, try to create it. I guess. <laughs> yeah that that's a really good point for sure. Create yep. creating edges. If you yeah. can't, I mean, totally different world, Aaron, that you've got than what I've used to. You know, with tiny little wood lots and and big open country like that. I mean, that's that's tough. I mean, that's really tough. It is, and yeah. you're trying to basically catch a deer cruising. Really, that's what you're trying to do. You know, I'm trying to hold those in a way 
but I'm also trying to, you know, with the one acre, I'm trying to, I do have a group of does that lives in the area. Now they don't really call the one acre a home, but they do live there. They might be there for four days at a time, you know, but I want the bucks to realize that this one acre is a hot spot that they can go cruise downwind of it. It's easy to get to. It's a transition from different woodlots that hopefully I'll be there when they come in there to scent check that thing and ultimately get it done, you know, so that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to create. But ultimately what ended up happening is all the deer want to bet in there now, which is good. Like that's, that's fine. Cause I'm trying to hold deer on, on a small little piece and it's working now. Like I said, it's just trying to figure out how the hell to hunt it and, uh, going from there really. That's the bit. Yep. And, and I guess to, I don't know, to kind of build off that Aaron, I think that's the biggest thing back to ultimately what we started the conversation with is how do you break down a property, a big piece scouting this and that it's like, well, I mean, just don't be overwhelmed by it. It's like, you got a big piece. You're probably not going to figure it out in that first season. I mean, you, and if you're successful in that first season, then good for you. You did something right. You know, maybe luck was on your side, but it's like, I don't know, stick with it because ultimately every single time that you hunt, every single time that you go out there, um, any improvements that you do if you're on private land are going to help that. So it's like, I don't know, it took, it took a really bad you know, season for me, not a bad season, but you know, an unsuccessful season for me to really like, you know, shift gears and be like, all right, I'm going to figure this place out. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let another opportunity slip through. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it's just like, stick with it. I mean, just, uh, yeah, don't get, uh, don't get down if, if you don't have success initially on, on a new farm or you're hunting a new piece public, whatever it might be. For sure. That's a good point, man. And I think that's a good point to leave this, this conversation right here. And, and hopefully some people can take some, take some good points from this, which I think they will, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, every piece of information here is good because it's, it's a lot different information from, from hunter to hunter. You know what I mean? Your situation is obviously different than what Justin did in Iowa this year, two totally different tactics in a way. Yep on public ground and you guys were both successful that's what's so cool about hunting and so infatuating to me you know what i mean yep. and Agreed. i just think it's i just i just think it's awesome so i i want to thank you sean for coming on and doing this man and i appreciate it and you know maybe I we can, can do this again and and kind of you know maybe break down when you shoot that 200 inch this year maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, that would be awesome. Hopefully, I'm on them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep scouting. I went out today. I, I walked. Uh, I don't know the old, the old pedometer on the phone said I put on 6.7 miles. I found a shed that was two, maybe three years old. Is all I got out of it. But I, you know, I walked a couple of spots I haven't been into, and I, I might have figured out a little bit more for next season. So that's what it's all about, you know. There you go, man. That's, that's cool. It. Well, again, buddy, we're gonna cut you loose and and appreciate you coming on and doing this, and uh, we'll we'll stay in touch for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I appreciate it, guys. I had a good time. Yeah, thank you, Sean. It was awesome.